summer of 1986, and I was going out to Overland Park, Kansas. That's where my dad was living, and I was going out there to stay a month with him to visit him in the summer. As I was out there in 1986, I was 16 years old, and my dad, while on that visit, decided to buy me my very first car. We went to this used car lot, and he bought me a 1980 beige Isuzu iMark. Come on, isn't she a beaut? Listen, uh, this is kind of funny, this story. My friends used to call it the roller skate. That was the affectionate name for my car. One day, side note, I was coming out of high school and uh, coming into the student lot. All the cars were all backed up. Everybody was honking and they were backed up on the street. And what I realized is the football team, some of the guys came and picked my car up literally and put it out in the middle of traffic. And so (laughs) my beautiful car, my Isuzu iMark. Well, in the summer of 1986, my dad bought me this car for $900, and now he had to teach me how to drive it because it was a stick shift. And so we had to go out into this lot, and he was teaching me how to do this pivot thing with your feet. Now, I don't know how many of y'all can drive stick. Come on, anybody out there drive stick? Listen, for me, I'd learned how to drive automatic. I'd gotten my license, but this was a whole new world and maneuvering your feet uh, at the same time. And so the idea of stick shift is, is you have this clutch that you gotta push down as you put it into gear. Now, some of y'all that know, you put one foot on the clutch, you put the other on, the, on either the brake, and then it pivots between the brake and the gas. That's kind of how that works together. Now, interesting enough, Driving that, that beautiful car, I actually went through a couple of clutches. I'll go ahead and admit that. Because sometimes when you put it down and you don't get it into gear, you can grind. You can grind those gears when you're trying to get it into the right place. And so here I am. My dad's teaching me how to, to do this pivot on the floorboard and how to drive this stick shift. And just when I'm starting to gain a little bit of confidence, my dad decided to take me out on the open road. And the first thing that he did, he took me to a stoplight on a hill. Now, if you have driven stick, you know this is this is kind of varsity level. This is where you're gonna kind of kind of kick the bird out of the nest to see if the bird can really fly. This is that sink or swim moment. And so here I am at this stoplight. It's red, and I'm freaking out. I'm on this hill, and I've got to go from clutch in, leave the brake, get on the gas, drop the clutch, get it in the gear, and to get it moving through this light, right? And all of a sudden, I'm feeling the pressure. The pressure is on. Sure enough, as soon as I took my foot off the brake, you know what the car did? It started, it started to roll backwards. And I'm like, ah, I'm gonna hit the car. So I'm back on the brake and I'm trying. And then if I, if I jumped off fast enough, I popped the clutch and then the car would what? It would jump like a, like a frog, right? And then it would, it would die out. Do you realize that I waited at that light that, that light had turned green three times and I couldn't, I couldn't get my car through the light. I'm telling you, the people behind me loved me. There was so much honking. It was backing up. People were screaming and yelling. And in that moment, I'm thinking, I hate this car. And in this moment, I'm going, I don't like this moment. Right now, I don't even like my dad. I can't believe he put me in this situation. And finally, on the third time, I got it. I got it in the gear and we finally got through. But, but you guys know what I'm talking about. This idea of a pivot, this idea of a pivot. It's not always easy, especially right out of the gates in it. Now, as I share that with you today, 
I, I, I just wanna say good morning to you out there. I don't know where you're watching from, but I wanna welcome you today to the Mount. We're in a series where we're actually in this book called Acts. If you have a Bible, I wanna challenge you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. As you're turning to Acts chapter 13, let me give you a little bit of context here because the book of Acts is the story of the church. And I love that it's an action, kind of the movement, because that's what the story of the church is supposed to be about. Now, last week we discovered that the setting is this place called Antioch, and that's where we're gonna kind of pick up in the story. But what I wanna share with you about the movement of the church, if you remember from the early chapters of Acts, the church was forced to scatter. It was forced to scatter. Uh, they got to see one of their very own, Stephen, one of their members from their church, they watched him get stoned to death. And it was in this horrible moment of watching persecution fall upon their church that this scattering began to happen. Now, why do I say it that way? Is, is I want you to see something here, is that God turns pain into purpose. Did you catch that? You see, God takes trials and he, he leads us to the truth. God will take a test and he'll turn it into a testimony. And God will take the sufferings in our life and he will turn them into strength if we trust him in it. And what he does in this early church at the front part of Acts is persecution happens, but what leads the church to scatter ends up becoming an unstoppable force. That's where we pick up in the story. That's where we are in chapter 13. Now, let me show you a little bit about Antioch because this is a key part of the story. Now, in this idea of the church on the move, I want you to see this idea of pivot because there's a pivot happening here. There's a pivot that's at work here. Now, as we look at this today, I want us to look first at this journey because Jerusalem is the center of where the gospel kind of began and kind of exploded. But then now it's scattered all the way up, 300 miles up to this new place of Antioch. You see, in this area would have been this Palestinian. It would been more rural countryside. But yet up here, this is more urban. This is more of a city. This is an international kind of setting that really can launch in a lot of different directions and where its location is. And we're gonna see, we're gonna see what this movement is really all about. Now, to tell you a little bit about the church, we find out immediately from the writer, Luke, that's giving us the story, he talks about the five key leaders in this church of Antioch. And there's just such great detail even in that. You see, Barnabas was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. And then it gives us this name, Simeon, Simeon, and he also gives us this name, Lucius, and these guys were from Africa, from North Africa. And then you get the leader, uh, Saul, that later becomes Paul, from Tarsus. And then you get this other guy, Manan, Manoian, I can't ever say that name, it's such a weird name, but Tertarch. And, and you get this mixture of culture, you get this multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped church right here out of the gate. And, and sometimes I think we miss that when we read the Bible because we don't always understand the culture behind it. But this church truly was 
really rich in diversity, but we're going to see it becomes the center hub of sending out these missionary journeys, these missionary movements. Now, I'm kind of tackling a daunting task today, this morning. I'm going to try to tackle, I think, about 80 some odd verses in two chapters. I'm going to give you the, the overlook of what that first missionary journey was all about, and I want to give you a couple of teachings from it that I think are lessons to understand the story, but they could be lessons right here, right now for you and for me if we'll lean in, if we'll let God speak to us through the pages of scripture. Now again, a lot of scripture here. I want you to see the scripture and I want you to look at it for yourself. So look at me, uh, Acts chapter 13, and let's just begin right here in verse four. It starts off like this. The two of them, remember, Paul and Barnabas, anointed by the Holy Spirit, were sent on their way. And as they were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, they go down to Seleucia and they sail from there to an island called Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, makes me think of Subway, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. This is a pattern that you're gonna see a lot. They're always gonna start with the Jews first and they're gonna start there trying to proclaim from their heritage, from their history, to lead them to the Messiah, Jesus. If they don't get that response there, then they move outward to the Jews, to the Gentiles, the other people living in the city area. You see, but this, they didn't go alone. This is a key detail. They took a younger generation guy named John. John was kind of that, that protege. He was the one they were mentoring. He was a young guy that went with them on their journey and he was gonna go with them to be a helper on the journey. Now, watch this, verse six. They travel through the whole island until they come to Paphos. There they meet a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, proconsul would be equivalent to somebody like a governor. This would be a person that is kind of in charge of the area, known as a, a man of influence, a de definitely a man of some power in this area. And so as they go there, they realize that there's this sorcerer, this Jewish sorcerer that kind of has a hold over this guy and he's leading him with magic. Now, pay attention to that detail. You see, the proconsul was an intelligent man and he sent for Barnabas and Saul. He heard about these guys on this missionary journey and he was interested. He wanted to hear the word of God. Now, this guy's leaning in spiritually. Y'all see that? He's leaning and he's wanting to learn more. But Elimus, the sorcerer, he's not happy with this. Matter of fact, he... He, he wants to oppose them. He tries to turn the pro-council from the truth. Come on. He doesn't want this guy to hear the good news. He doesn't want him to hear the word of God. He's trying to keep him from the faith. So Saul, look at this. You gotta like this. He, who's now gonna be called Paul, his Roman name, Roman version of his name, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks right at Elimus and here's what he says. Come on. You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you and you're going to be blind for a time and you're not gonna be able to see the light of the sun. 
immediately a mist, a darkness came over this guy and he began to grope around till someone could lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, come on, is that not kind of a crazy story? Let, let me show you again the direction of this missionary movement. This missionary movement that takes about two years, they start in Antioch, and then here's where they begin. Watch this. They're gonna sail, and they're gonna come to a place called Cyprus. Now, again, the detail here, Barnabas is a Levite that's from Cyprus. He's the guy named Joseph in, in just a few chapters earlier. He sells a piece of his property here and he actually gives it to the mission of the church, if you remember a few chapters back. But now he's going back kind of at his home place, but yet here they're talking to a man of influence about this, this faith in Jesus alone. And they come in contact with this, this guy that's practicing magic, this guy that's become an impediment to the message of the mission. Now, let me give you a couple lessons here today. Number one lesson, here it is. The real magic is in the mission. You see that? The real magic is in the mission. It's in the mission. Now, the reason I want you to kind of see that and understand that is the word, the word mission leads us to purpose, Come on, the writer, the leadership writer, Simon Sinek, he says it this way, you gotta know your why, right? Because your why is your purpose. It's your mission. I believe a mission is what gives our lives direction. I believe a mission is also what gives our lives meaning. I believe a mission is what gives you and I courage to keep on keeping on when things become challenging. You see, we all need to have a mission. Could I ask you today, what is your mission? I think some of you, you might think immediately to your job and what maybe your vocation is and what you give time to. And maybe that is part of what your mission is. Maybe right now you're thinking as your family. Maybe if you're a parent, you're thinking about your mission as parents or maybe your mission within your marriage. Or, or maybe think about relationships or friendships or maybe it's a cause right now or a passion in your life. I believe a mission is what helps wake us up in the morning and gives us the why we wanna get out and do something in that day. You see, this idea of mission is so key. And I want you to see with Paul and Barnabas, they're on a mission. They're on a mission and nothing's gonna stop their mission. No magic. Matter of fact, the magic is in the mission of saying yes to Jesus. You see, their lives have been changed in a relationship with Jesus and now the Holy Spirit has sent them to go and to reach people for Christ and to start new churches that are gonna make a difference in the days ahead. You see, they realize they have been sent and they're on a movement of God. Now, why is that key? Because as I start thinking about your mission and my mission, I think about my faith too, just like Paul and Barnabas. I think about, when my life got intersected with Jesus and I had my road to Damascus, if you will, where I had this moment. And I think it's interesting that Paul, when he's calling out Elimus, he calls him out to be temporarily blind. And that may seem like a cruel thing. Why would he do that? But do you remember back a few chapters ago when Paul got saved? His road to Damascus, what happened to his sight? He was blinded for how many days? Three days. 
And it was in that physical separation from seeing, he finally spiritually began to see that real life is in a relationship with Jesus. It's not in religion. Maybe he wanted that for Elimus on that day, but what we do know what happened on that day, it opened up the spiritual eyes for that governor because on that governor that day put his faith and trust in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? You know, for me, my neighbors are who invited me first to experience church, first to experience this message of faith in Jesus alone, and began to come with them to their congregation on Sundays. It's interesting because at age 14, they invited me in, and by inviting me in, uh, my eyes were opened, and Jesus saved me when I was 14 years old. Can I tell you some other things that happened? Is that Jesus gave me a new heart. Jesus gave me a new identity. Jesus gave me a new mission for life. Do you know since the age of 14, and it's become clear now that I'm at age 50, is that there's been these pivots in scripture that have been shaping my life each and every day. Can I give you the two big pivots in my life, the clutch, if you will, of my faith? Here they are. They're the great commandment and they're the great commission. You see, the great commandment calls me to to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the love doesn't stop there, does it? He tells me to love my neighbor as I love myself. You see, it's so much packed into that great commandment. That's a pivot for me because that's not always easy to do, but it's the mission that I'm on as a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're on that mission too. But then there's another pivot here and it's the great commandment. It's the great commission. And the great commission says this, therefore go and what? Make disciples, but watch this, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. But could I just pick on a word for a minute here, because maybe we miss this sometimes in our church, is that we're making disciples of all nations. Y'all get that word? That word is a word from the Greek called ethnos. Ethnos, we get the word ethnic from it. It means every tribe, every nation, every people grew. You know what? We don't have to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth have come right here to our own world. But yet God wants us to go to the ends of the earth. But God also wants us to walk across the street. Are y'all with me? And a lot of times we're experiencing this right in our own cul-de-sac. I love it. God has given us the mission God has given us the assignment and and it's the thing that should beat the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. It's our call, it's our call. Now, with that call, I wanna share something with you today because the mission that Paul and Barnabas was on was to go beyond their borders of comfort. They had to physically go some places and now look at where they're gonna go. They're gonna leave the island of Cyprus and now they're about to go all the way up, all the way through to this area of Galatia. This is also referred to as Asia Minor. 
You know, we might modern day look at this and see areas of Turkey and Greece and this whole area here I want you to see because this is really the ancient world. There's a lot happening here. Now, what you're gonna see in your Bible is we're gonna go and we're gonna see them go to a place, another place called Antioch, but it's Poseidon Antioch. And then they're gonna go to another place where they're gonna go to Iconium. Then they're gonna go to a place called Lystra. And then they're gonna go to a place called Derby. This is gonna be a long journey. But again, it started here and it's gonna take them two years to go from here back. But I want us to get some lessons here and what God's trying to say. And the first one is the magic's in the mission. But this next part, I want us to keep reading and keep looking. Look at what verse 13 shows us. On their journey, they're now leaving Paphos and Paul and his companions now sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them. Where John left them to return to Jerusalem. John left them. This guy they're mentoring couldn't hang in. This guy that they're leading couldn't hang on. Now, we're not given a reason here. All we know is that he had quit early on in the mission, and he disappears from the work that they were up to. Now, I'm not trying to be hard on him, but we're gonna come back to him later in the story, but let's just look right here today, right now, and let's just kind of imagine what is happening right now. You see, historians think that he's the younger cousin to Barnabas. So maybe Barnabas is his link to this story, and now all of a sudden, Barnabas is not large and in charge. Now Paul's kind of usurped that and he's now more of the leader. Maybe there's something here where he doesn't like the way Paul is leading. He doesn't like that Paul's the leader. Maybe in their journey so far and the whole sorcery thing freaked him out a little bit and maybe he's scared. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's homesick. You see, we're not given an answer here. All we're given is he quits. He quits on the mission. I want us to see that because this is the truth of a journey following the mission of Jesus is that uh, I think Kyle Ottoman wrote a book called Not a Fan. And, and I think sometimes when things get harder, when things get more challenging, it separates who's going to be a true follower and who's just a fan. And can I tell you, fans will fade when the team stops winning. And sometimes that's the tension of the story. And I think we see this in real life form through a young disciple that maybe is still trying to learn what is my role? How do I trust? How do I believe? How do I move forward? Now, as we look here at the story, let's just keep looking at verse 14. It says this, it says there from Perga, they go all the way up to Pisidian of Antioch. And then it's Sabbath. So what do they do? Same pattern. They start in the synagogue and they sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets from the Old Testament, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for us, for the people, please speak it. They're gonna give them a chance to actually preach here. This is powerful. This is a powerful moment. So what does Paul do? He stands up, he motions his hand, and he says, fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles, you non-Jews, who worship God, listen to me. And because he's in a Jewish setting, what does he do? He starts with Jewish history. He goes all the way back to the story of where Israel is growing bigger and bigger and bigger, but they're enslaved in Egypt. 
he goes back to the part where God becomes their deliverer. Y'all remember this story? Come on, God, hear our cries. And he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Using Moses, the leader. And he goes back there and he refers this story. And he says, all of this took place to move them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. It took 450 years. 400 years they're going to be enslaved in Egypt. 40 years they're going to wander in the desert. And then it's going to take them another 10 years before they actually settle into the territory that the promises of God had given to them. And then he goes further into the story. He says, and God used judges to lead them. God used prophets to lead them. And then what did the people want? They wanted a king. First king of Israel is a guy named King Saul. And he talks about his leadership. And he said, after removing Saul, the second king comes into play. Come on, y'all know his name? It's David. It's King David. The Bible loves to describe King David in this way. A man after God's own heart. And he'll do anything that I want is what God said about David. And listen, I want you to see the scriptures here because it says from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. You see, he's making a connection for the Israelites, the Jewish people listening. He's saying the greatest king, King David, guess what? There's a greater king, it's Jesus. And Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the fulfillment. Don't miss this message in this moment. I want you to see this because as we look at here, as we listen here, there's some truth being shared here about the story of Jesus. He goes on to say this. He says, fellow children of Abraham, you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. He goes on to call this message good news. <laughs> He's telling them it's good news that you and I are gonna get to experience this. And then he gets to the details of what Jesus accomplished. He said that Jesus is gonna be wrongly accused. Jesus was sentenced as a sinner. Jesus was executed on a cross. Jesus was buried in the tomb. And good news, God raised Jesus from the dead and God now wants to do something miraculous in you. Listen, Paul's preaching this message that day. He's trying to show them what's possible for them. Now, let me give you the second learning from this missionary trip is that the mission is the message. He's given this huge sermon and he's trying to help us to see that the mission is the message. That's why we call it good news. The good news, you don't have to work for it. The good news is God gives it to us out of grace. God wants to forgive, but when he forgives us, it's now gonna join his mission because the mission is the message and the message turns into a movement. It's gonna lead us. It's gonna lead us. Listen, it's not just about knowing your why. That's the mission part. It's about knowing who and it's personal. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. I can't get any clearer than that. I want us to hear this again and again and again because the mission is leading us to the message of Jesus Christ. And the message of salvation has to be shared 
with everyone. That's what God's called us to be, church, to be messengers, to be ambassadors, to put God on display, to be his witnesses. And Paul wants them to see this connection that started with King David and connecting to King Jesus so he can now invite them to believe. If you're watching today and you say, Pastor, I hear this history story. I've heard parts of that in the past. I don't really get it. Let me give it to you as clear as I can in these next few verses. Look at verse 38. It is essence of the gospel. It's an invitation, I believe, right here, right now for anybody that's ready to believe and receive what God wants for us. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. There's a way for you to be forgiven. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. Through him, everyone who believes is gonna be what? Set free from sin. It's called justification that you were not able to obtain by just simply living under the law of Moses. You see, that law of Moses served a purpose. It was to point out that you're a sinner and you're gonna need a savior. But the good news is the savior has come. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. And now I invite you to trust in Jesus to save you. You see, when Paul finished this message, I love how he presented it because many urged him, would you come back again tomorrow and talk to us about the grace of God? We wanna hear more. We wanna know more about this grace of God. It said that the following week on the next Sabbath, because that's when Jewish people gathered, it said that almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. But as that was happening, there was some Jews that saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy they began to contradict what Paul was saying and they began to heap abuse on him. You see, these Jews became jealous. These Jews were becoming angry. They were becoming threatened by Paul and his mission and his message. But the Gentiles, it says, look at that. It says that they were actually glad and honored that they had been included in the message. They're getting to hear that, man, I get to be a part of this. I get to be included in the story of what God is telling us and what God is doing. You see, the word of God is spreading through this whole region, but at the exact same time, opposition is now growing and getting stronger and getting stronger and getting stronger against Paul and Barnabas. Now, that leads me to this third point in this missionary learning experience, and here it is. The mission and the message of Jesus reveals motivations. The mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus will reveal the motivations behind, behind our lives. When you're living for Jesus, let me go ahead and just say this to you again, challenges are gonna come. When you're trying to be faithful to him, you're going to experience challenges. Come on, I know that punches prosperity gospel in the mouth, but it's true. If anything we've learned in the last three months, we are living in a broken world in broken times. I don't have to convince anybody of that. And Christians, we're not getting to hit escape on all these hard things. We're having to go through it just like everyone else. 
And Paul is showing us that even them, even though they're doing things the right way for the right one, does not immune them from the challenges that they're having to face in this. And so I would ask the question, what is being revealed in the faith of Paul and Barnabas? What is being revealed in the faith of John Mark that went back home? What is being revealed in the crowds of people that are there? What's being revealed in this group that's jealous of Paul and Barnabas? What is being revealed is key because just because you're facing opposition doesn't mean you're you're not about the mission. Doesn't mean you're not about the message. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's part of it. But I love what they do. How do they react to the opposition? In this particular location, it tells us in verse 51 that they shook the dust off their feet. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning and then they just moved on to the next town called Iconium. And it said that those disciples, as they made their way, they were filled with joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I gotta make sure you're still with me. Are y'all still with me? I know I'm doing a lot of covering today. I need to know y'all are with me today. Y'all with me today? Are y'all with me today? So what did they do? They, they, they were shaking it off. Listen, as I thought about that, I thought about the great theologian, Taylor Swift, right? Come on, players are gonna what? Play, 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 right? Haters are gonna what? Hate, 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 hate. But baby, I'm gonna what? Shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. Listen, I ain't trying to be silly. I'm just trying to make sure you're still with me. Listen, that this next stop for Paul and Barnabas is Iconium, but before they go, they have to shake it. They have to shake it off. It's actually biblical. Do y'all know that's what Jesus told the disciples on the mission that he sent them out to do? He says this in, in Matthew chapter 10. I wanna make sure you know I'm staying close to scripture here. I'm not deviating away from here. I want you to see this. Look at this, verse 12, it says this. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and what and what come on shake it off shake the dust off your feet now you want to get real strong with the message if these people won't receive if they won't listen if they won't lean in guess what move along don't force it move on but look at verse 15 truly I tell you it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than it will be for that town. Listen, right now, I've pushed y'all the last few weeks about entering in hard conversations, and I'm pushing my own self in those same hard conversations, and I'm not gonna admit it's easy. But I'm telling you guys, we have got to have a posture of Jesus. We gotta be about the mission, we gotta be about the message, and we gotta have enough courage to move into some hard places so we can sit and listen, and we can be people of peace. That's what it says here, we're to bring peace. Christians, we're to be people of peace. 
We're not coming to hurt. We're coming to be people of peace. But if the peace is pushed back, if the peace is rejected, if the peace is, is resisted, listen, you just step back and you just keep moving and go to the next peace, the next place to bring peace. God is calling us just like this journey here to keep moving in the mission and in the message because that mission and message is gonna reveal something about you and anyone else that's around you. So what do they do? They move on to Iconium. Now here's a quick story here. They arrive there, they share this message of Jesus, but there was already a group ahead of them that had gotten there trying to poison the mind of the people in the town of Iconium. Matter of fact, before they even really got fully started in their message, half the town was divided. Half was for them, half was against them. Come on, isn't that a volatile place to do ministry? And then they found out that they were already devising a plan that they were gonna do the same thing that they did to Stephen. They're gonna stone Paul and Barnabas. And they heard it, and you know what they did? They shook it off, and they moved to the next place. And when they moved to the next place, they came to a place called Lystra. Lystra. There, Paul walks in that place, sees a crippled man, and Paul performs a healing right out of the gate. Now, that always helps the message right there. Can I just say that? When, when you do something that everybody's buzzing about, everybody's like, what in the world? This, 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 people are in our town and they're performing miracles. Now, you gotta know something about Lystra. Lystra was a very spiritual town, but not spiritual about the, the mission of Jesus Christ. They were about mythology. They were about Zeus. Matter of fact, they saw, they saw Paul and Barnabas. They called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes because he was the mouthpiece, like the high priest of Zeus, giving the messages out there. And, and, and here's the thing, they're wanting to honor them, they're wanting to celebrate them, they're wanting to deify them. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And remember the message there? Remember what he said there? He stops them and he says to them, he says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, just like you. But we're on a mission. We are bringing a message. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And as they got that message out, they couldn't hold back the crowd. Opposition was there. It was stirring against them. It got to such a frenzy on that day in Lystra. You know what happened to Paul? They start throwing rocks at Paul, hitting him in the head, hitting him in the body, knocking him out cold. They kept throwing rocks. They thought they killed him. And they dragged Paul all the way out of town. Paul's disciples come around him to assess his body and his damage and miraculously he wakes up, he stands up, and you know what he does? He goes right back into Lystra. Come on, you wanna talk about being committed to the cause? There's no desertion with him. He's gonna go right back into the lion's den because the mission and the message were that important to his soul. The next day, they head out to a new place called Derby, and I want you to check this out. As they leave for Derby, they go out to this place, and, and, and when they get there, it says that, um, I lost my place. Come on, I'm losing my place in my notes here. Let's see here. Verse 19, 
Uh, it, oh, actually, let's just go right there to, to the last part. Because this last part to me is the gold part. It's the motivation part behind it all. Because as we look here, after they finish at Derby, they end up deciding to go back all the way home the, the way they came. I want you to see this because this idea of the mission and the message leading Paul, because when I start thinking about the ministry that God's called me to, I think about the message that God's called me to. Listen, I start thinking about what they faced in the Bible. I don't know how many physical rocks I would put up with in ministry. Listen, I get hit in one rock. I might be like, oh, I'm tapped out. I'm done. John Mark, where are we going? Let's go. I mean, I just don't know. But, but this idea of enduring that kind of physical pain, that kind of, uh, that kind of posture where you're being attacked, you're being accused, you're being, you're being ridiculed in that kind of way. I don't know how much I would deal with that. But we just see Paul was so motivated by this great commandment, by this great commission. And, and as I thought about their missionary journey that took two years, I wonder, am I really that committed to the great commandment and commission like they are? Could I ask that same question of you guys? Are you really that committed to the great commandment, the great commission? if it came with that kind of cost, if it came with that kind of pain. You know, when I started thinking about that in my own life, that God's called me to, to love him, right? To love him completely with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to, to love myself correctly, and to love my neighbor compassionately. Can, can we just admit, it's easy for me to love, it's easy for you to love people that you know, it's easy for us to love people that we like. But what about the person that we don't know? What about the person we don't understand? What about the person that we might not even like? Yet God's called us to be on a mission to give a message and to give to lead with love. Do you realize how radical this is and what God's calling us? Listen, the same expectation he put on the early church is the same expectation he's given to the church of today in 2020 with our unique challenges and all. But I'm telling you, it's harder to sit and to listen and to understand someone that's not like ourselves. But maybe that's the courage of what God wants us to do if we're gonna be people of peace that are willing to step past our comfort to bring peace, to bring peace. Isn't the mission and the message bigger than all of that that we might face? Isn't it bigger than you and me and our comforts? Isn't that what we've signed up for when we surrendered all to him at the beginning of our day of salvation? I just wonder, what are the days revealing about you and me? What are the days gonna end up revealing us about us as a church? Now again, the money part for me is how this Ends. And I know I've covered a lot of territory and I've taken a lot of time today. But here, isn't, isn't the Bible good when we get to see it in this kind of cover and you get to see the color coming at us and seeing this? But look at this. I, I wonder if maybe God shows us this missionary journey that's so challenging and uncomfortable because he wants us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable. But if we wanna grow, it's gonna take a push. I don't like pushes. I bet you don't either. But if I really wanna grow, I gotta be willing to go where God is calling me to go. And I believe he's calling us to pivot. 
He's calling us to pivot. The powerful part of this, and I know I keep setting this up. Look at verse 21. It says this, that they preached the gospel in that city of Derby, and they won a large number of disciples and then they returned. Look at where they returned. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, the very places that Paul and Barnabas faced their greatest opposition. They went back there. But here, here's what I love. They went back there to strengthen the disciples, to encourage them to remain true to the faith. And here's what he says. Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders and leaders in each of the church, and they they prayed and they fasted to commit them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Hey, church, look at this journey. Look at this journey again. They start They started in Antioch, they came all this way and they went back the same way they came. They knew they were gonna face challenges. They knew they were gonna face opposition, but it didn't keep them. And what happened in this two years is with this 2,000 years later. And I'm here to tell you, it's a message. It's a timely message for us right here, right now. Here it is, church, we gotta pivot. We gotta pivot and the magic is in the mission. And the, ma- the mission is about the message and the message is about the movement. And here's what I want you to know about that mission and message of Jesus. It's gonna reveal what's in us. It's gonna reveal what we're really about. I'm telling you, it's, it's, time, it's time to pivot. You know, I think back in this story and I think back to even at age 14 in my salvation I realized something happened at age 14 when Jesus saved me. Again, he gave me a new heart. He gave me a new identity. And I think that identity has been around a lot these last several weeks and months as we talk about things. Can I tell you my greatest identity? Here's what I found out at 14, and it's clearer to me now at age 50. The longer I'm a Christian, it's even louder to me. Here's what Jesus says about me. Jesus tells me that I am forgiven. Jesus tells me that I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. I love that. Jesus tells me that he's trusted me with a mission and a message, no matter the cost. Now, let's just go back to the car illustration because maybe spiritually this might help you today and where you're at. Maybe today, if you were to describe your spiritual journey, maybe it's kind of like that car where you're trying to figure out how to pivot and maybe you're on the clutch and you're grinding the gears and you're like, can I just, can I just get my faith, can I just get my spiritual life in gear? And you're like, you're like, I don't know how to get it in gear. Maybe that would be a description of your faith today. Or maybe today, you've let your foot off the brake and you're rolling backwards in your faith and maybe that would be a great description. Or maybe you pop the clutch and your car leap forward, your, your faith leap forward, but then it immediately stalled out. And that would be a description right now where you are right now, spiritually speaking. Listen, it's time. It's time to pivot, right? It's time. It's time to get it in that gear. It's time to grow. It's time to go. It's time to move forward. But it's gonna take, it's gonna take us trusting Jesus with everything. And that's uncomfortable, I get it. But it's the mission, it's the message, it's the invitation. So here it is. 
What spiritual commitment are you willing to make right here today? Is it to begin a relationship with Jesus? Or is the commitment as a Christian, God, I got to step past my borders of comfort. I got to be uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And I got to know, I got to know what it means for you to truly be Lord of not just me loving you with my heart, soul, mind, strength, but me loving myself correctly and loving the people around me, even the people around me that aren't like me, helping me love them compassionately, even when I don't fully understand. God, help me. Help me to go. Help me to be the move of God. Come on, pray with me. Father, only you can do in our hearts what you sent Jesus to do. And that's to save, and that's to change, and that's to transform. Today we are confessing it's only in Jesus we can be made new. Lead us today, God, whether it's to begin, whether it's to begin to go. It's time, even as challenging as these days are, God, help us to be people of peace. Help us to be a church that brings peace to those who are hurting. And God, bring the unity that's found in the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that for all of us watching today. Amen.